Welcome back to The Re-Education. This is a somber show because it is about the horrific atrocities that happened over the weekend in Israel. And I have so much to say, and so it is a monologue-only episode. We have other great shows in the works, but for now, please listen to Shattering Illusions, Hamas Atrocities. I went to Wikipedia this morning to look at the map of where the resistance is. And as of at least this morning, they've liberated an area that's actually larger than the Gaza Strip. There was some sort of rave or desert party where they were having a great time until the resistance came in electrified hang gliders and took at least several dozen hipsters. But I'm sure they're doing very fine despite what the New York Post says. Those were two snippets from a rally to celebrate Jewish bloodlust. It took place in Times Square on Sunday, only 24 hours after the world woke up to images of dead Israelis who had attended a peace concert and terrorists going house to house at Kibbutzim. You may say that I'm nut-picking. I'm finding the most extreme examples of a broad movement whose participants reject the tactics of Hamas and only seek dignity for Palestinians. But you can watch the rally for yourself. Speaker after speaker gloried in the worst mass murder of Jews since the Holocaust. And it wasn't just in New York. All over the Western world, progressives marched in the streets, chanting, From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. They tell us rape, murder, abduction, and torture. Well, it was all just a prison break, an act of resistance, or as one Twitter academic put it, a military strategy for people confined to a ghetto. This is what these Cretans were cheering. As fighting continues for a fifth day, the brutality of Hamas's attack on Israeli border communities is revealed. We see blood spread out in homes. The, the depravity of it is, is haunting. Israeli defense forces say rescue teams found entire families burned inside their safe rooms after Hamas set fire to homes along the border. So I begin the monologue on these rallies because this show is about how this atrocity, how this horror has shattered a series of illusions. The first one is that this weekend's terror was an expression of Palestinian rage. Terrorism is just another idiom in the language of the unheard, so to speak. So let's begin first by noting that in addition to the horror inflicted on the victims, the nation of Israel and Jews all over the world this despicable act will only serve to further immiserate the Palestinians. It has set back the cause of Palestinian statehood, perhaps by a generation. You don't like the border wall with machine gun turrets that you falsely claim comprises a blockade, an open-air prison in Gaza? Well, congratulations. Hamas just made the case to the entire world why Gaza must remain in this alleged cage. There is a more sinister element at play here as well. Because if you believe that Hamas was acting on behalf of all Palestinians, then you are saying that all Palestinians are savages. The reality is quite different. Hamas rules Gaza through intimidation and fear. Hamas has executed 18 people accused of collaborating with Israel. According to Hamas-linked local reports, 11 accused collaborators were executed in Gaza City on Friday morning. Then a further seven were executed at noon. 
Analysts say that the executions were a message from Hamas to prospective collaborators after an Israeli airstrike killed three of their senior commanders. Their funerals took place on Thursday evening. Does anyone think these alleged collaborators were actually guilty? I mean, there was no due process. In other public executions, Hamas has chained victims to the back of motorcycles and dragged them to their deaths in front of their throngs of supporters. But it's not just these extrajudicial killings. Hamas is also known for torturing its prisoners. Here I want to look at Atta Najjar, a Palestinian police officer with mental disabilities who was accused by a military tribunal of collaborating with Israel, and he was executed summarily in 2014 when his brother picked up his body at the morgue. This is what he had to say, quote, There were marks of torture and bullet shots on his body. His arms and legs were broken. His body was, as you'd put it, in a bag and smashed it. His body was riddled with about 30 bullets. He had slaughter marks around his neck, marks of knives. And from behind the head, there was no brain, empty. It was difficult for us to carry him. He was heavy, like when you put meat in a bag, no bones. His bones were smashed. They broke him in prison. End quote. And that's one of many horror stories that apply to Palestinians victimized by Hamas. We can talk about their treatment of gay Palestinians, and yes, they exist. And if you are found out to be gay by Hamas, you will be hung from a ceiling and beaten for days. But it's not just the torture, it's not just the killings. There's also corruption. Here I want to quote from a 2021 State Department report. Quote, In Gaza, local observers and NGOs alleged instances of Hamas complicity in corrupt practices, including preferential purchasing terms for real estate, financial gains from tax and fee collections from Gazan importers. International organizations cited corruption in Hamas hiring practices as well, creating a system of patronage that hampered economic growth, end quote. There are also credible reports that Hamas officials pocket up to 30% of the development aid destined for Gaza. Now, none of this should surprise anyone. Hamas deliberately stores its weapons in schools and mosques. The headquarters of its military was famously in the basement of a hospital. Hamas does not care about the welfare of Gazans. They are only props for a political war that seeks to turn Western opinion against Israel. So again, why do the same people who decry microaggressions and claim campus speakers with whom they disagree threaten their safety, turn a blind eye to fanatics who deliberately seek to keep the population they rule impoverished, afraid, and hateful. Okay, so that's the left. Now I want to move on to the liberals. Here my criticism is just is not as sharp. For the Washington policy establishment that wants to end the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, I assume that their intentions are noble. This process, this formula of negotiating land for peace has been a chimera. They are violent extremists. They gain support when there is a crisis. That is why the United States and the international community must keep pushing for diplomacy and the ending of civilian casualties on all sides. There must be a de-escalation of the current violence. The United States should... So that was Senator Ed Markey calling for de-escalation at a pro-Israel rally. Well, as we can hear, it didn't go well. But I feel a sliver of sympathy. He was reading from zombie talking points. The cycle of violence. You don't negotiate peace with your friends. 
blah, blah, blah. We've heard it now for 30 years. So when a septuagenarian senator repeats the script, well, I guess I'm not surprised. That said, there is something morally perverse about calling for de-escalation 24 hours after the mass murder of Jews. Even if it comes from a good place, it suggests that Israel has no right to defend herself. The good news here, at least for now, is that President Biden, after an eerie silence over the weekend, when his own State Department released two similar statements calling for de-escalation on X, formerly Twitter, only to be erased within the hour, well, he's been strong. In fact, what we've learned as I'm writing this is that President Biden has decided to actually freeze the ransom payment of $6 billion that he announced last month would go to Iran in exchange for prisoners. It's a good start. Anyway, now is not the time to reach out to the Qataris or the Turks, both of whom harbor senior leaders of Hamas, to help negotiate a ceasefire. Now is not the time to back Israel only for a couple weeks, as has been U.S. policy in the past. We have to support Israel, the United States does, for as long as it takes. And it will take a long time. So I hope Biden's fidelity to Israel's mission remains as resolute as it is today in a month, two months, three months, four months from now. There's a deeper lesson here as well. The fantasy, the delusion that with enough negotiation, enough financial support, and enough patience, diplomacy can tame rogue states and rogue actors must be abandoned. If it's true, as the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post have now reported, that Iran helped to plan and fund the Hamas murder spree, well, then there's no point in trying to re-enter the nuclear deal that Barack Obama once considered only eight years ago to be his administration's greatest foreign policy success. Well, he was wrong. Obama's greatest act of statecraft, at least when he was president, was ordering the special forces raid that killed Osama bin Laden. Israel understands what it needs to do, but it cannot take on the head of the snake, Iran, by itself. Biden has to stop trying to salvage his old boss's legacy and focus on helping the Iranian people topple the illegitimate regime that purports to rule them. All right, now I want to move on to Israel. I should say I have all the sympathy in the world right now, obviously, for the Jewish state. As a Jew, it is my safe haven in the remote chance that I ever have to flee my home in America. Also, as a Jew, I do not want to second-guess the decisions of the Jews in Israel that must live with the consequences of their government's actions. I am also a journalist. As such, I must point out the obvious. The strategy pursued by the Israeli government since 2007, when Hamas took over Gaza after winning the only election for which it stood in the Palestinian legislature, Israel has sought to manage the conflict by leaving Hamas in place and winning skirmishes every few years. And this has saddled Gazans with Hamas and the border restrictions their regime demands. No more. Israelis have appeared to learn this lesson. As I speak to you, Israel is preparing the ground invasion, and the fighting will be brutal. They have to rescue their hostages and some American hostages as well, it appears. But they have also pledged to end Hamas's reign inside Gaza. This is not only the correct strategy, it is the just strategy. The policy of mowing the grass, as the Israeli called it, provided false peace. The only real security right now for Israel and Gaza is to address the root cause of the problem, and that is Hamas. Finally, I want to turn to the Palestinians and the Palestinian leadership. So it should be possible, even with rage in our hearts about the victims of Hamas savagery, to also empathize with the people who are being bombed. 
But at the same time, we cannot ignore that other major Palestinian leaders in the PLO and Fatah are a spent force. They too are corrupt. They too have embraced the fantasy that with enough atrocities, they will be free. And many Palestinians, bereft of basic security, sadly believe them. I should say, the last time that I was in Gaza was 10 years ago, and I spoke with Rajay Adwan. He was an entrepreneur who created a new perfume sold in a bottle that looked like a rocket. It was called M75, so named for the short-range missiles that Hamas had just fired into Israel in another war it had lost. So why did Adwan want to capitalize on a feudal war, another defeat? I say because for many Gazans, though certainly not all of them, many Palestinians, the outcome does not matter as much as the valiant effort, no matter how doomed. The slogan for his perfume of M75 was, for those who want to smell like victory. Well, I can understand that sentiment if you are a Spartan fighting the ancient Persian Empire, or if you are partisan in the Warsaw Ghetto. But Israel is not Nazi Germany or the Persian Empire. We have learned that every time a former foe wants to make peace with the Jewish state, the Israelis have been eager to agree. From Sadat to Arafat, although we should say Arafat was lying when he said he wanted peace, Israelis have been willing to take great risks to pursue the chance that they can live in security. But when Israel is attacked, it will defend herself. Palestinians have never really understood this, even as Arafat negotiated at Camp David in the summer of 2000. He was preparing the groundwork for the Second Intifada. The valiant effort mattered more than the tangible outcome for his people. Better to be a doomed martyr than a compromising statesman. I don't look forward to the days ahead, but it must be done. Israel has made it clear that if the Palestinians want peace, the Jewish state will accept. But if Hamas wants war, my people have no choice but to oblige. This has been The Re-Education with Eli Lake, a nebulous production. Please find us wherever you find your podcast. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star review. It helps other people find the show and makes us feel really good about what we're doing.